0: ビビ We are a Grand Line reborn, a One Piece slash Final Fantasy fourteen podcast, brought to you by Third Impact Anime. I am your host, the Warrior of Light himself, Tobias, and I'm joined by my first mate, my nakama in arms, Bell,
1: the navigator, the cook, maybe the doctor, on on this grand ship that is this podcast.
0: Well, you can you can multi-class. You don't have to stick to just one role. You can just you can change over whatever we need.
1: That is that is true. There are many jobs to uh, be withheld on on the ship.
0: <laughs> I was, was going to ask what role a cook is, but then I remembered that Culinarium is a class in fourteen, so you can be a cook in the game, just like Sanji.
1: <laughs> there is a cooking guild that I found out that you could join. I love that there seems to be a guild for almost everything. <laughs> 14
0: <laughs> there certainly does seem to be alright well this is the first real episode of this uh, mini series that we've got called A Grand Line Reborn if you're wondering what this is if you've maybe stumbled into the regular Third Impact anime podcast feed or someone's recommended this episode to you and have no clue what these jokes are we're making I will direct you to listen to episode 0 where we talk about who we are why we've got this idea of this podcast to begin with, and what our respective familiarity with these franchises uh, there. I think there was a good discussion we had. So rather than recant all that and waste even more of your time, we're going to talk about our first uh, checkpoint, really, into these series. So while we want to, in the future, talk more about individual themes and characters and arcs, I think the, the, the main thing we're going to do with this podcast is just recount our respective journeys through the One Piece manga and through the critically acclaimed MMORPG Final Fantasy XIV online now with the free trial that Bill is playing.
1: Exactly. <laughs> wow. <laughs> While Tobias is reading the critically acclaimed manga, a uh, multicellular series One Piece on the very affordable, very User-friendly Shonen Jump app.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know about user-friendly, but it certainly is. <laughs> it certainly is affordable. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have I have little complaints with the app. It, it gets the job done. It certainly does, but there are little things that I wish were better. Uh, yeah, you. Know, we, I don't think we mentioned that in the first episode or episode zero. You know, we talked about the free trial to FF14, but the weekly Shonen Jump, or rather, just the Shonen Jump mobile app. Is only $2 a month to get all of this content. It's, it's not everything that's ever been on Shonen Jump, but it is all of One Piece, for instance, as well as a ton of other series. So for $2 a month, that's nothing, man. That's, I'll give yeah. you $2 a month to you get this a, Like
1: You have a cornucopia of popular series on there, such as Claymore. Uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, I believe uh, Kaguya-san Love is War is on there, and uh, Chainsaw Man, which is getting an anime adaptation for The Fall, that is also on there to read.
0: Exactly. So let's go ahead and uh, talk about our, our sort of initial thoughts into these series. So, once again, Bill is going to be playing through FF14, and I'm going to be reading One Piece. So let's talk about maybe like our first hour or the first chapter into these series. I know that uh, when you created your character, I was a little worried that you'd be able to get into our server because of how busy the server is, but you didn't seem to have any problems whatsoever.
1: I think it was uh, the, because I have a lot more free time, I was able to sign up in a, at a less popular time, like it wasn't at nighttime or, mm-hmm. or during kind of peak hours. Um, yeah. So that probably that probably helped. Also, doing this challenge not at the beginning of a new expansion probably also <laughs> helped. Cause, that is who did. Because I know my brother, who also plays fourteen to some extent, he's also currently a free trial user, and basically couldn't play the game when uh, the new expansion came out a couple months ago. So, yeah, that's right. I think I I timed this well. And I joined the Leviathan server because everyone said join Leviathan, do it. Do it. Do it. They'll do it. And so yeah, I did. That's the way to because, go. Because because peer pressure works, kids. <laughs> and it has a cool name. But yeah, I started out uh as a a gladiator class. Uh, because everyone said, like, that's a really good introductory class to uh, the game. And so I decided to go with that. And I made my character a, a fox man, a fox boy, because, hey, tail was cool. And it's the fox fun- boy. Yeah, everyone, well, that's what, like, our friend Andrew describes me as.
0: You do look like a fox, I'll give you that. But you're a Mikoti, which is a cat boy. You're, you're a cat boy, Bill.
1: Oh, <laughs> wrong, wrong animal. I apologize. <laughs> I should say ahead of time, I will get names wrong, and Tobias will correct me. So I apologize in advance <laughs> when I don't remember the name of the city or the character, because even in One Piece, I will give people nicknames and just stick with the nickname. And not their actual name. So if Tobias mentions a character in One Piece, I'll probably just go, oh, it's that nickname. I named that person over. So (laughs) I will try to be better about that, but be warned.
0: Right. I think it's funny that you went with uh, with, uh, Mikoti because when I first started playing, it's like, oh, okay, it's a cat boy. It's like the Mithra in FF11. It's just for those people, the weebs that like cat boys and cat girls, but uh, as I played the game and seen more of the lore behind that race, I think they've they've come out better than I thought they were initially. So it's uh, it's interesting to see you pick that one in particular.
1: I did not pick it for lore reasons. I just picked it because Pompadour haircut looked cool. <laughs>
0: yeah, rock the pom, man. <laughs> All right. So you you said you started gladiator because that was the easiest, and I do want to say yeah that that's kind of what my suggestion would be to people would be Gladiator if you want a melee guy or Arcanist if you want a, a magic kind of guy. And I feel like with Gladiator, you know, the, the major thing is if you're a tank, you can get into public queues, like dungeon queues, really quickly because not a whole lot of people want to play tank or healer. It is very easy for the people that do play tank or healer to to get into these, these instances. And it can be more difficult than playing DPS. You are in charge of, you know, doing tank stuff and pulling people. But once you sort of get used to that, it's really not that difficult. As long as you are, as I've told you before, spin to win with your <laughs> gladiator abilities, uh, you, it's really difficult for you to be exceptionally bad. I won't say you can't be bad at it, because I'm sure there's a veteran player that's going to, well, actually... You know, you could be a bad tank. Yes, I know that. But for a beginner, once you get over that initial tank anxiety, that tank anxiety, as it's been called, uh it's really not that bad.
1: I think I had more anxiety about just playing the game at first because <laughs> I'm I was just intimidated by like the hot bars and just the how the gameplay actually works. But um in there. Completely understood. So, so, I enter into the game. I will say, I under, from what I have heard from you, from Andrew, from Basil, the story is great. I think that intro is not good. Because it's a lot of like proper names and, proper, and just dumps you into the lore of what's going on in the world. And as a newbie, and as someone that um, watches a lot of movies and TV... You can give someone a bunch of lore, they won't care. You have to give them a character to attach themselves, so that way they will care. And I know that's hard to do that in MMO, because you're you're basically the character, you're the star. But I, I feel like that intro is not the greatest in the world in terms of getting you invested in the story. Um, but I did enjoy that the narrator sounded like the narrator from Soul Calibur. I was just waiting for him to say, and the soul <laughs> shines brightly within the critically acclaimed Final Fantasy XIV.
0: On the stage of history, the crystals are
1: set. <laughs> <laughs> the dawning of a new day. Uh, <laughs> So I will say from a story perspective, when I first got into it, I wasn't all that engaged because it tells you about a grand war that happened five years ago and basically kind of gives you like an in-story reason of why the reset happened, which which makes sense, but I would have liked a more kind of like an interesting plot hook, like, oh, you're involved in like a grand mystery or you're involved in a mysterious occurrence or a big thing comes at you at first. Uh, I, I know this is an old reference at this point, but like why Skyrim works so well is just, you're immediately faced with a dragon. You're like, oh my oh, God, yeah. what's, hap- what's happening to the city that you're in? <laughs> oh my God. So that gets you intrigued. Whereas I, I think they went with the lore route with 14, and that for me wasn't the best route.
0: I completely agree. Um, the story does pick up later, but the first section, "Our Realm Reborn," uh, ARR, is really set up. And the sort of the mechanical reason for this, rather the practical reason for this, is they were having to remake this game, you know, from square one, in about half the time that they really needed, at minimum, to make a full video game. So a lot of the stuff in this game has been recycled from the from the one point of release. You know of course all the mechanics are different the way the game plays is different but they a lot of the same there's a lot of similar plot beats that have been recycled into uh, the 2.0 release and yeah I agree that the um the calamity and the discussion of what happened five years ago is is kind of neat but it is you're just kind of there you're just literally when you start off you've just you're like on the the truck into town you've, you've fallen off the turnip truck as it were, and you're just some dude. It shows up in whatever city you start on. Yeah, I think overall, you mentioned the Skyrim and how Skyrim sort of pops you right into the story from square one. Uh, One thing I think 14 does do pretty well, interestingly enough, is that you being the 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 character known as the Warrior of Light, it's just a generic term they use to account for whatever uh, you know species, whatever gender, whatever person you're playing. They really. They really throw you in a Mary Sue situation, which generally wouldn't be good storytelling. But I think Final Fantasy XIV does it well. It it makes you feel like, yeah, sure, even if you're an unearned badass, especially at the beginning, it, it really connects you to the story and you feel like you've kind of done these things that you know thousands of people in the real world have done before. Everyone who's played this game has done the first 10 or so levels of quests. That's nothing in particular. But because it sets you up as you specifically, and because they're voiced cutscenes, I feel like it really does get you immersed in a way that stuff like WoW, World of Warcraft, wouldn't.
1: I think what made me get into the game initially was this game has excellent onboarding. Where mm-hmm. it really does an excellent job going step by step of like, this is how you do an attack. This is how, this is what your inventory is. This is what this part of your job is. Like They're very good about not overwhelming the starter player into the world. They don't just throw a bunch of mechanics at you. They, they slowly go through it. And I never felt right. overwhelmed, and I never felt confused by what they were trying to tell me.
0: I think uh, like you said, that there's a lot of a lot of stuff in the UI that can be very confusing. If you dig into your options, maybe there's a lot of stuff there that you likely have no clue what even what it even means now at this point. They help, I mean, there's stuff that I'm still finding that you can uh, you can see information that you have access to. Just by digging through your menus in certain ways, so uh, I can it can be easy to lose yourself in that. But if you stick to the script and let the game teach you these things, it uh, it onboards you really well, like you said.
1: Mm. And I think you also get really acclimated to your starter city. I started yes. in, in
0: uh, uh, Ulda.
1: Ulda, yeah. Where they kind of get you acclimated to the city and wherever you're starting. And I felt like by the time I left the city, I knew that city really well. And I knew where to go, um, where, where certain guilds were, where certain vendors are. And they kind of, it's a good training wheels of just like learning how to use their teleport system. How to use the map. How to get to quest objectives feels like it's a bigger area, but it's actually relatively small where you're not overwhelmed by, like, where you're not having to walk, like, 300 meters to get to here to there. Everything's kind of relatively close by to where you need to go back and forth.
0: Yeah, and I agree that the cities, <clears throat> both the starter cities and some of the ones you see later, they're pretty complicated, like, if we're being honest. Sure, they're not, like, actual cities, It's not going to take you tens of minutes to walk, you know, from one side of the city to another. But because they're a little complicated, because each city has two zones, it makes it feel like you're in these metropolises. Metropoli. Metropoli? Metropoli. We're going to go with metropoli. (laughs) It it makes you feel like you're in a metropolis, you know? And that's something you just kind of get used to. And you mentioned kind of being confused and having to turn your map on all the time, like when you're in Ulda. And I, I, I'm i right there with you, man. I had to do the same thing. I had to sort of, but you know how, you know, when you navigate a real city, you kind of think to yourself, okay, if I'm in this district, am I in this area, I take this street and that'll get me to the college. And once I get past the college, I can do this way or that way. It it kind of made me think of that when I navigate these major cities. So I appreciate that in the main cities, even if they can be a little um, convoluted for newcomers.
1: Yeah, and I, I'm i still trying to get my way through the map at times because one complaint I do have about the game is they're not really great about giving you, like, elevation, whether a location is up or down sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I some more clear navigation, I think, would help to some degree. But like I said, the cities kind of help you get acclimated to kind of more intricate layouts. So that way, when you get out into the wider world, you feel a bit more confident in knowing how to use the map and knowing where to go.
0: And a lot of that is just muscle memory. As you play, you'll learn how to get around Uldah. You'll learn, you know, in the area around it, Thanalan, you'll kind of memorize where these different locations are around Thanalan. Or when they tell you to go to you know Breast Station, you know exactly how to get there um, from where you're at, or you know you can just use your teleport. <laughs> it's it's always there <laughs> as an option. So any sort of uh closing out your initial thoughts for that game that you started playing.
1: Don't go into the beginning of fourteen expecting like the greatest story in the world. It's mostly like Tobias said a lot of setup to what's gonna happen later but I think if you're willing to kind of be okay with that and be more on board for the mechanical side and the onboarding side, then I think you'll find a really friendly game to start. And I will say the story does get more interesting as time progresses.
0: And I'll even add on to that, not really spoilery, but it gets a lot better later. Of course, everyone says that about whatever, but ARR is very much set up you're learning a lot of proper nouns, like you said, uh, some of which matter more than others, some of which show up much, much later. You don't have to know what the Alamegan refugees are as of yet, but they do show up in a bigger capacity later, for instance. By the time you get into Word, I think is really when things ramp up Mm story-wise. What my first impressions coming into One Piece? Well, you know, I like I said, a lot of this I came into with ex- little experiences here and there from before reading. Like, of course I knew these characters. I know all about uh, Luffy. Is it... I want to confirm this here because maybe I've been saying it wrong. Is it Luffy or Luffy?
1: Luffy. That's how I say it's it. It's Luffy, right?
0: Okay. I thought so, but for some reason, I think maybe it's just the person in me trying to do Japanese... Is trying to read it as, as Luffy, but that's, that sounds silly the more I think about it. Uh, but Luffy, so like I knew Luffy, uh, I knew Sanji, I knew Zoro, uh, Nami, and all these characters. So it's, it's a little bit different for me because I do have a lot more experience, uh, at least with the characters and set dressing of One Piece, more so than you did with, with 14. So the beginning of One Piece honestly just didn't really change my expectations from that to uh, see these characters. I did like how it starts off with uh, Luffy as a kid. The very first chapter is uh, him growing up and knowing Shanks, Red-Haired Shanks, I believe is his pirate name. Yep. And uh, sort of getting his experience uh, rather his drive to become the king of the pirates. The uh, The very first panel of the manga is when Luffy is like cutting himself in the face like stabbing himself in the face to get his trademark scar uh, right under his uh, left eye. I think that was a really interesting way to start it off with um, a self-inflicted wound. But you know, <laughs> uh, Luffy is a character.
1: That's really interesting because that's not how, in the anime, it starts. In the anime, it's more okay. from Kobe's perspective, where C- okay. Kobe meets, finds that Luffy was hiding in one of the barrels that was picked up by Avida and her crew. And it's it's initially from Kobe's perspective, just like who's this strange man? Who's who's Luffy? So that's interesting that that's where the manga starts because I didn't I didn't know that.
0: Okay, yeah, the first chapter is him meeting Shanks, or growing up with Shanks, and then Shanks saves him from a shark attack. I think I think there's the the mountain bandits show up, they do a fight, and then they're in the water. And a big old shark's gonna eat Luffy, but then Shanks gives up his arm, basically sacrifices his arm to save Luffy, and he leaves him the hat. Says you have to protect this hat until you see me again. So uh, it's pretty much as I expected. Like I said, the art style is unique to One Piece, so it has you know that cartoony style that everyone is is used to by this point. Uh, I think it was interesting to see. We already have building up these themes in One Piece. The idea of Sticking to your dream and building up this determination uh, to achieve that dream at all costs, uh, regardless of the people that will stand in your way. I uh, I do know, just kind of seeing stuff around, that we'll see more of Shanks later. But as for where I stand now, it'll be interesting to see how he stands up as this, this idol that Luffy has, or what an ideal pirate should be.
1: And, yeah, I think like you said, like his cartoony art style is similar to Tezuka and his kind of cartoony art style bit.
0: Mm, Yeah.
1: Yeah. I can see that
0: completely for sure.
1: You can see that legacy. And uh, Oda has said, like he was heavily inspired by Akira Toriyama, Uh, Mm. like in the one piece color walk, he interviews some of his contemporaries and kind of see where his art style comes from. And like, like it's kind of funny how They're neither both fourteen or One Piece doesn't don't have the great intros in in the world, but kind of as we go on, would you say that the 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 initial start of One Piece does a kind of good onboarding of like who Luffy is, his personality, what is his goal?
0: Yeah, no, for sure, I would agree with that. I do think there's some comparisons there. I wouldn't say that One Piece. Again, like you mentioned, everyone's saying that a fourteen had a great story, but then you notice at the beginning that it's just kind of there. It's not really something that blows you away. I mean, I think like that's kind of what One Piece does is that it. Everyone has mentioned how great these characters are, but the first few um, arcs, even I would say, you're just kind of the same story. There's Luffy shows up. There's a big, bad, crazy, wacky pirate. That's either like a clown or something silly. And there's taken over a village. And then Luffy shows up, says, No, this is my dream. You're not going to crush their dream. <laughs> and he saves the day and he meets a new friend that joins them on the journey. So it, it, the first few arcs do seem a little formulaic. I will say that the last one I've read sort of broke that mold a bit. So I'm really interested to see, much like you. Where it gets good, so to speak. Like, where does it go from being just an okay series to being this crazy, amazing thing that everyone loves?
1: For me, with the story where I've gotten so far, it's expanded to, I'm now out of the starter cities. I know a bit more about the world, and I'm now part of this group called Scions of the Seventh Dawn, where in a very kind of generic fantasy thing of there's a great calamity that we have to stop before it happens. so we're trying to stop the the primals, which are basically like these big uh, creatures that can wreak havoc upon the world and so we're trying to stop them. but there's also the I think they're called the Galleon the, the Gallon Empire Garlions, the, yeah the Garlians. Yeah. Very Gundam-like name there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, where they are kind of a... They've been kind of a background ag- ag- antagonistic force where a lot of other factions do not like them whatsoever. And uh, it seems like they are trying to cause this calamity or they are pushing for it. As someone who plays a lot of d and I, I can enjoy kind of a good grand epic gotta save the world type story and that's kind of what 14 is telling Um, i would say
0: that the overarching narrative of the first game a realm reborn is very much a generic jrpg save the world from the evil empire setting you can get into the specifics and it does expand but if you look at it, like in one sentence, the elevator pitch for the first game, it's you're saving the world from the evil empire.
1: I would say at least one piece, while the the antagonistic that Luffy comes up against and at least aren't going to blow your away. they're a bit more interesting than I would say the empire is in 14, where mm-hmm. I couldn't name the villain. <laughs> who, who, is the, who is the villain that's leading the charge? in the base game of 14. I can't name them. They just seem to be part of a collective hive. Whereas, It's
0: it's, uh, Richard Epcar, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, Richard... (laughs) Oh, yeah, I should also mention um, with the dub acting, there's a lot of familiar voices. Like, I've heard... uh, If you're a fan of Critical Role, like uh, Taliesin, Jaffe, uh, and... Uh, Sam Regal are in this game. Richard Epcar is also in this game. I know I've heard from Spice and other people that the voice cast changes. I think the voice cast is fine. I'm not loving everybody, but uh, they're getting the job done. I just it feel, but back to the greater point of just kind of the antagonists. they kind of just seem like very mysterious, hiding in the background... We're doing mysterious things. Ooh, look at our black robes. for organization 13. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and we're doing grand planning, 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 planning. We're going to make our move. We're declaring our... We're having snippy conversations between all of us because we don't like each other and because we're quippy bad guys. <laughs> uh, uh, uh,
0: it, do, it does a lot of these cutscenes, especially at the end of the dungeons, where it's like you see the black robed uh, They're called the Ascians. But they're basically Organization thirteen from Kingdom Hearts. These <laughs> mysterious rogue figures that are acting behind the scenes. You've got those that kind of show up. They're, they're instigating the primals, which uh, for those of you at home, the primals are pretty much just the summons from the older Final Fantasy games. Things like Ifrit and uh, Titan, which built as fought today. Uh, so like, if you're familiar with those those characters from like FF7 or whatnot, you, you kind of know what these primals are and you know among all that you've got the garlean empire which is just your the magitech wielding bad guys that you've seen from the older ff games ff12 has an empire and i think it's the arcadian empire uh, ff6 has um uh what the and the the evil empire there so again that's something that's very well done and very well trod in final yeah. fantasy
1: and also in just fiction in general, from Star Wars to Gundam, like, there's, it, there's someone somewhere has made an evil empire for their world in a lot of uh, sci-fi and fantasy.
0: Of, uh, Star Wars, I noticed the other day you kind of laughed at Bigs and Wedge showing up.
1: <laughs> I wondered if that was a translation choice.
0: It's actually a joke. So all of, like, almost, all, well, not all of, but a lot of Final Fantasy games actually have characters called Bigs and Wedge in them.
1: Oh, really? It's, I uh, didn't know that.
0: It, yeah, it's like uh, it's just kind of a joke. It's it's like it's like Sid, like. Almost not every game, but most every Final Fantasy has a character named Sid. And they almost always have something to do with airships. They're either an airship manufacturer or they've you know, somehow related to airships, usually. But uh yeah, Biggs and Wedge, they're they're usually just sometimes they're just names, sometimes they're actual characters. Uh there's a Biggs and Wedge in Final Fantasy VII. Uh there's a Biggs and Wedge at the beginning of FF six, uh for instance and uh yeah they're usually just some sort of names thrown out there uh so in ff-14 they are two little uh airship uh engineers that work alongside sid interestingly enough our our will works out alongside sid once you get to that point but yeah uh star wars has inspired a lot of things have inspired things in final fantasy but star wars is certainly a major inspiration for this
1: series i will in terms of story i've been going through the gladiator quest line and I think that's been my favorite story so far of, um, uh, this female leader of the gladiators had a reputable past with a former, uh, kind of savant of the arena. They have, they're hinted at being romantically involved with each other, but they can't because of past tra- transgressions. And he's kind of a roguish type. And, uh, I really just kind of enjoyed that story because it was very character-centric amongst the NPCs that I met. So I think that's been my favorite story so far, and from what Tobias and Andrew have told me that I think is really cool is that each guild kind of has their own plot narrative that you do as the as you pro- progress through the questlines
0: yeah yeah every every um job, like you said, does have that, and they get pretty involved. Uh, some of them are a little better than others, but I think it kind of um, depends on what you want out of the game and I do think it's it's nice that you really have enjoyed the Gladiator one because it it continues to to explore those as you play through the games as well. It's not something that's just wrapped up at this game, and that's it. no more. You do actually hear more about these characters as you play the game even further.
1: Well, uh. I'd be curious, because from where you're at in One Piece, you said that you've met Sanji, who is kind of the cook of Luffy's crew. But from what you're telling me, it sounds like that was kind of the turning point where things started to click for you. Would you agree with that?
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, like I said, I feel like the first few arcs, do feel a little formulaic. We kind of see the same plot um, outline for these. But what really made these shine is we do get these moments where Luffy will stand up for these people. And not only that, he will inspire them to stand up for themselves. So, I mean, hell, you mentioned Kobe, the very first thing in the, the anime and pretty much the second thing in the series, like inspiring this little kid to stand up for himself and achieve his dreams. And it's, it's very easy when we look at something compared to other shonen series like Dragon Ball. You know, Goku is very much the same type of um, main character. He just, he's kind of a goofy person. He is a really good fighter. He will win all these fights just because he's got you know, plot armor and because he's the good guy. But I think the thing that I like about Luffy more than Goku is that he is able to read people in a very good way and he's able to help them achieve those dreams they have in ways that is better than just saying go do it you know he doesn't just pat them on the back and he says some really cliche phrase about you know achieve your dream he shows them that they can do that and in that first uh you know avita arc with kobe at the end when um Uh, In in that part, Kobe's dream is to be, he wants to join the Navy as the Marine.
1: The Marines. But he's been,
0: yeah, but he's hanging out with Luffy the whole time. He's a pirate and Marines and the Navy can't hang out with pirate people because they're criminals. Of course. So at the end, when they ask him, Oh, is this your friend? This pirate? Uh, he, he's not sure. He doesn't want to betray his friend Luffy, but he doesn't want to, you know, not become a, a Marine. So he's waffling on what to do. And Luffy says, you know, I don't know that guy. Screw that guy. And it seems like a betrayal because he just met this this little kid and they've become friends. But Kobe realizes what he's doing, that he's lying for the sake of helping him, you know, in his in his journey. And he does stuff like that with all these characters where he doesn't really, again, just give a cliche speech, tell them to follow their hearts. He actually does something to inspire these mm-hmm. characters. And they're they maintain their dream by their own will which i think is something that really is touching even if the narrative itself isn't necessarily the most complex and mind blowing there's something simple about the way luffy operates that is inspiring he just has a a goodness of heart and in the world of one piece like everyone like it seems like everyone's a pirate there's all these islands everywhere you're either an innocent villager who's helpless and poor are you're a pirate. And if you're a pirate, you're either some crazy captain with a, a wild power, like a cannonball that you shoot out of your body, or, you know, a clown that can just <laughs> <laughs> unravel your body parts, or you're just one of the crew members. And, you know, in this very simplistic world, there's something about uh, Luffy's morality, which kind of shines through. Even as... You know, this is this is a series for kids. This is a Shonen series that is, again, a, a series for young boys. It's got to be simple, but there is something that sort of shines through the simplicity. I feel like
1: I think Oda is very good at finding universal themes and things that people can relate to, like how Zoro. Uh, I, I'm, let me know if you if you read this or not, um, but like with Zoro wanting to become a swordsman, it's all due to. His rivalry with his childhood friend and trying to find, like, what happened to her because she disappeared under mysterious circumstances. Or with Usopp. Usopp is... Initially, we think he's just a coward. He's a scaredy cat. But he wants to be brave. He wants to be like his father, who is a pirate, and um, defend uh, the people that he cares about. And... Uh, I will be interested when you get Tanami's storyline later, which I won't spoil. but uh, that also has every every character has a backstory and a reason of why they're doing things. and uh, characters leave and come back. So it feels like a living world too. And that's what I think made it makes it so engaging. So like you met Captain Buggy who is a very, it's a very comedic character. He's just a clown that can have, has a disembodied body that can kind of move around and uh, fires a giant cannon, but he comes back later, still is of comedic force, but can play as an important role within the story to some degree.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, you mentioned um, you know, the, the various characters and how they've evolved. I've, I've just finished, um, let's see, what was it? The, the um, uh, Barati... I think the thing was saying like the Bharati restaurant, yeah. where Sanji where? shows up, and uh, like almost as an aside as part of it, I think I think sort of to get Zoro out of the picture, they have Mihawk show up.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And he shows up just enough just to take Zoro out of the fight, and then he leaves, which is a little a little convenient, I feel like. But the the short few chapters that Mihawk is there, uh, and the way he touches upon Zoro's, like you said, his dream to become the greatest swordsman. Again, that just, that's just like, it sounds generic when I say it, but when you see it on paper, when you see Zoro as all he wants to do is live up to this dream for his, uh, his, it was, his, like you said, his childhood friend. Like he swore to be the world's greatest swordsman. And to see this happen in front of him, he, I would say that he is afraid uh He definitely recognizes that Mihawk could could kill him and almost does kill him, but he also knows that to fill his dream he can't back down he has to even if it means his death. uh do this he has to challenge this this uh crazy uh, hawk eyed swordsman, and he does and loses and there's this teary moment where uh right when he's before he passes out, he tells Luffy you know this is the only time I will lose if i if you keep me with you." I will never lose again, and it's something that you feel that you know <laughs> when I say and, it, it doesn't sound great, but you feel it when you see the way that Oda's framed us. When you see the characters, you know they're constantly crying. It just feels you can feel their emotions behind everything, which I think really is what makes One Piece work for me so far.
1: Yeah, I'm. I think that the series is very has strong emotions, like it's not a fist of the North star, I'm going to destroy you silently and look supermanly. Like people go through emotional trauma and go through strong, strong events that affected their, their lives. Like, um, I don't know how far of Sanji's backstory you read with his oh, relationship yeah. with, with owner Zeph, where Zeph initially was a pirate. Um, was robbing the ship that Sanji was on. Then Sanji falls overboard. Zeth saves him. Then mm-hmm. they get stranded on an island. Um, They have one, basically, one bag of food. And Zeth, they're given two bags. One bag is of food, and then Sanji thinks it's a bag of gold. And he thinks that... Um, and Zeph says, you stay on one side of the island, I'm going to stay on the other. F- at first, he does that. Um, Sanji eats the food and thinks, though well, this guy's holding out on me. He's, he's he was being unfair. And then he goes back to find Zeph has eaten his leg to survive. And basically gave Sanji the remainder of the food to live as a sacrifice to, to him and because of Zef's actions Sanji is ever indebted to Zef as a father figure to where they, they form the restaurant together and that's why when Don Krieg, King of the North Blue and his crew come in and try and basically declare I'm taking over this restaurant and your ship Sanji was like no you're not taking my home away I will fight you till I can no longer fight no more because this is my home and this is the person that raised me, basically. And I think Sanji's story is the first story that really shows to people that the strong emotional connections and the reasoning behind why people are the way they are and gets behind their bravado because when you first meet Zeph and Sanji, they're always kind of bickering about things and Sanji's always kind of hot headed, but behind the hot-headedness is the young man that loves Zeph and will do anything to protect him, his other chefs, and their home.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I really liked that arc, um the, the Barati arc with Sanji. Um in some way because if if like I've worked in restaurants before and sure, we're not always like throwing each other around and actually attacking each other, but there is sort of a brewish camaraderie that mm-hmm. should that happens you know that generally you know, comes up with with people who work in in kitchens and I saw a lot of that in this the way that uh, he and patty and and Karin and uh, and Zeph interact the way they're yelling at each other they call each other crap geezer. I don't know how it's translated in the anime, but uh, they sort of prefix everything they say with crap. It's so like the crap geezer, the crap cook, uh, crap waiter, whatever. It's uh, I'm pretty sure it's the Japanese just kuso, uh with everything, which makes more sense. But it's kind of funny after a while. They use the word crap constantly, whereas the language would be much harsher in a real kitchen, <laughs> uh, for sure. But still, like it, it sort of bled through. The way there's very much a... a How would you say, like almost like a a, a performatively masculine sense of attacking each other to experience that connection in a kitchen? And that really bled through here. And to see where a bunch of these battle hardened, you know, sea dogs working in a kitchen and had no qualms about telling their customers what things were good and what things were bad and how stupid their opinions were. Um, I think that really felt real to me in a way that. It's really interesting, you know? I feel like that's kind of the strength in One Piece, is that a lot of these character interactions feel real. Even if, Mm. you know, the stretchy gum-gum powers and the cat-claw people are very much fantasy and not real, there is something about the pathos to these characters that hits hard and really hits in each of these stories so far. Uh, I know that the next one coming up, Arlong Park, is that's Nami's big story, and if it hits anywhere near as uh, as Sanji's did, I think I'm gonna really dig it. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I I feel bad because I basically uh, talked about my feelings about Sanji's arc, but yeah, I I think just the pathos of each story and the reasoning for why things are the way they are, and just the strong um, the strong emotional center with One Piece, I think is what makes it great. If it didn't have that strong emotional center between characters and between reasoning of why characters are the way they are, then I don't think it would be as popular as it is today.
0: That's that's really what I'm looking forward to here because, you know, like I said, both with this and with 14, um, the actual narrative is kind of there. It's not amazing, not mind-blowing, but Mm -hmm. once you really get into it and once both of these stories ramp up, and you get into these characters uh when you know events start happening it hits harder in ways mm-hmm. that really resonate and stick with you so
1: let me let me ask you just as someone who's reading the manga how were the how were the fights illustrated from what you've seen so far are they interesting or are they just kind of generic like what are the fight scenes like in the manga
0: uh, the Is fights it... haven't really blown me away. Uh, I'll say that they're there. Uh, Oda gets his action across well enough. We do see, you know, the the various gum gum attacks or the chop chop attacks with, with buggy. Uh, we do see what I, I guess you could call keyframes almost in an animation sense. You see the big parts of the action, the the big iconic parts, but the actual individual attacks, the slashes, you know, whatever. That's not really important, and they don't really show it you know, we look at, um, Zoro, we see his attacks and his really silly three sword style, you know, thing. Uh, he uses his, uh, onigiri attack, which I think is a great pun. I don't know how it's translated in the anime, but his big attack of the, the, the demon slash, I think is what it translates to. Uh, it's onigiri, which is of course the word for a little rice cake, (laughs) a rice ball. So it kind of works both ways there. Uh, but they're just kind of there and you kind of have to fill in the gaps. And that's one thing I do want to bring up that I've noticed so far. in Otis' action is that there are several times where, um, is really good at conserving panel space. He doesn't waste a panel on something that you can assume is happening. There's times where in the next panel, a character will reference something going on in the background and briefly mention it rather than having to see it happen again on the screen or rather, in, on the page, in a panel, we just kind of assume that happens behind the screen. And, you know, I don't read that much manga, in all things concerned, so maybe this is something that I'm just not used to, but I really haven't seen this done in, in other manga series to this extent. And it, it really feels natural, almost, in a way that it, it, it makes it seem like it's not wasting my time seeing something rehashed that I found really interesting. I can I can almost guarantee you if I were watching those parts in the anime, that the anime wouldn't conserve that space the same way that the manga pals do. So uh, that's something I've really noticed that I wanted to bring up here on the podcast because it's very very noticeable to me.
1: Mm. of switching gears to 14 one thing that i've really enjoyed has been kind of the social camaraderie that you brought up in episode zero i've really enjoyed just uh playing the dungeons with you with andrew with basil uh with hank my brother it's been just a fun social experience just playing these dungeons together learning about how they're different Learning, um, what everyone's kind of been up to, and it's just a great excuse to just hang out. I think um, as I've gotten older, it's kind of funny where you you need you, when you were like a little kid, you were just hanging out for no reason, and now as you get older, you're like, well, we're gonna going. I'm going to this convention. Let's hang out, or or hey, you're playing the game. Let's let's hang out uh, doing dungeons together, and that's been really enjoyable. The dungeons themselves have been kind of linear at first or the the duties whatever they're called, but I've enjoyed them for what they are. I think the boss fights are fun, like most things it's mostly sponges, but I like the kind of the atmosphere and just more the social aspect of the doing the the dungeons and also the facing the primals as well. So that's that's one aspect that I have enjoyed so far.
0: Yeah, when I started playing, I was really anxious about that. The um, you know I've played multiplayer games in the past. i've I've played online stuff and in various formats, but I sometimes I, I have an anxiety about being good at games. and if I'm just playing on a team by myself, like a deathmatch style game, it doesn't really bug me. But if I'm on a team, and I'm expected to, you know, be good to help other people out. If I, if there's an option for me to disappoint somebody, uh, I don't really like that. So another problem that I had coming into this was I had a lot of anxiety about doing these dungeons um, with people online. I did not want to be a liability to team members. I really just don't enjoy that at all. It, it bugs me. And it's something i've had to kind of sort of get over when i play this game because i mean you talk about using the npcs but that's something they just added just a few months back it used to be that if you wanted to do you know if you wanted to fight titan you had to play with other people and you kind of had to get over that anxiety of being bad and honestly the first thing, like you mentioned the onboarding way back um the fights are kind of pretty easily onboarded it's really hard to really mess up sastasha to a point of no return, you know it's not really that difficult, and that sort of ramp as even myself when I was, you know, learning this game ramped me into feeling confident in what I was doing. Uh, I went from being a nervous wreck the first time I queued for Sasha to the point where I was running it several times after, just because like I enjoyed the rush of playing with other people and being part of a team. And now I'm running the new content as it comes out, uh, you know, where I'm at of the story, learning as I go and still having a blast because I'm confident that I'm playing the game well and that I'm not a liability to my team uh you know for the most part at least, uh, but there's something exhilarating I feel like about being in those I won't say a dangerous situation, but you're kind of there and you have to play on the fly. It's something that I don't really get a lot out of mostly being a single player single-player gamer Uh, it's been kind of fascinating about this game
1: now that is one difference is i've been lucky in that a lot of our friends are playing final fantasy 14 so i've kind of maybe it's i don't know if it's the safety net but i've played with you and with basil and with our friend andrew um where i know you guys Mm -hmm. and so i don't Feel that anxiety of playing with strangers. I haven't, I've never played with strangers yet. Um, so maybe as I get into the game further, that'll eventually happen, where either people get too busy or or whatnot. But, uh, yeah. but at least at least right now, I've either done played with NPCs, which they're competent, or I've played with friends. So at some point, I'll I'll play with strangers, and we'll see how it goes. Um, but. From my brief experiences with um, other players in the world, there doesn't seem to be a lot of um, trolling. Everyone's kind of doing their own thing. Like there doesn't seem to be a lot of just like, yo, you suck. Everyone is kind of doing their own thing and and respectful of what you're doing.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's not always been perfect in my experience. There are people that, you know, will maybe not outright grief you, but are in a hurry to get this done. They don't really have any tolerance for a newbie. You know, there have been those people, but they are very few and far between in my experience. Everyone is more than happy to help you. If you need help to just go about their business. If, um, you know, if you don't, it's outside of really extreme circumstances, the community really hasn't been a problem at all and everyone's been really welcoming
1: why do you think that's the case because in other MMOs famously Wow Wow has been known to be very toxic and most big fandoms get toxic whether that be in movies or TV or comics or whatever whereas it seems to be at least from my perspective now it's this, this anecdotal evidence so that's 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 not how it's this gonna is... be for everybody
0: there's a whole a whole episode we could do on, on exactly that. But I think it really boils down to... Well, first of all, it boils down to the dev team. You know, I'm not going to say Yoshi P loves us. I'm not going to try to have a parasocial relationship with this guy. <laughs> but, like, the fact of the matter is that you can tell that these people who make the game really love this community. They really love this game. And sure, to a degree, you can say they just love money and they just like having a job sure but just the way they interact was so different than other than other community teams and again not saying any westerners hate their audience i'm not going to say that blizzard doesn't care about people who play well i'm not going to say that but there is a, a marked difference between the way the yoshi p and team interact with the community and talk to the community and the way that blizzard activision blizzard works with its fans like You can't deny there's a difference there. And I think that sets a tone for people. I think another fact is that for so long, 14 was this dead game that everyone treated like a dead game that was, you know, just nowhere near World of Workout in terms of popularity. It was very much a niche game that you kind of had to want to play specifically to enjoy that fostered this community of, well, let's make sure we keep the people we get. Let's teach the newbies. Let's, you know, act like adults let's you know try to at least keep things lore friendly So another thing with the names is surely you have meme names and goofy names and in, in, in the game which is only increased exponentially after asman uh really advertised but like there's a without even needing to rp exactly like their naming conventions for these characters and people really, even if they're not role-playing their characters specifically, they're trying to keep things in the universe to maintain the illusion of an experience for the other people involved in the game. And I think going on into the history of the game, just the fact that over the past two years, it has taken off in such a big way that we have now, I think they've broken um, WoW's active user base so 14 is now the number one MMO whatever metric you want to use to determine that I think at this point it's it dethroned World of Warcraft in a lot of ways so the fact that we've gone from this dead game to this huge franchise I think makes people proud of this game and really proud of the community they built in a way that for whatever reason World of Warcraft hasn't really maintained over the past what two decades of life.
1: I think like you said, like that having a dev team that really is into their game really helps. Like I'll say from a Hearthstone player perspective, like the, the dev team for that game is really into the in Twitter and Reddit, responding to feedback and asking and answering questions. So a a dev team that's really into the game and that's really active in the community really does help. I think also, like you said, like having a steady rise and not being like an immediate hit probably also helps. And also just kind of the I think setting the first example really helps like veterans being more open. Like at least from my perspective, like you and everyone has been very friendly and uh, being like, Bill, you're doing it wrong. Do it. You got to do it this way. Um, so I think that kind of setting the setting the tone from veterans really helps
0: another another major thing is um PvP is not really the focus of this game. Uh, there are PvP modes, uh, a few of them, and there are people that play them and there are benefits like certain gear sets and titles that you can get from doing PvP. but you know, wow, that was the focus for World of Warcraft at least back when my. My experience with that is people doing duels and going into the pvp modes and getting whatever the ranking is like that exists here but it's very much a pve experience and it's focused on the story that is happening and i think that also helps in a lot of ways it encourages those type of people that like single player games to play this game more so than the you know esports crowd that WoW seems to have drawn, or maybe not even now. Like, I think a lot of that crowd has gone on to League of Legends immediately after, they've gone into other MOBAs now, things like Overwatch or Apex or whatever the hell they're playing now, you know? I think that type of crowd has migrated away from MMOs in general. It kind of has taken their toxic aspects with them. And Like, to be clear, like, I'm not saying, again, I want to to be absolutely clear. There are certainly toxic aspects in 14. There's been talked about things like toxic positivity, you know, I don't wanna sort of pat ourselves on the back too much, but there is something to be proud of, I believe, in this game and this
1: game's community. Are right, do you have anything else to say about One Piece or FF fourteen or we can uh we can wrap it up?
0: I can already see some parallels between these two franchises. Now that I've got a I've gotten pretty far in fourteen and starting to make good progress in One Piece. I feel like they do things different, but there are certainly some overarching themes which are shared between the two. Uh, so I'm interested to see as you get near that, and as I hell is even if, if as I finish uh, the game, getting into Shadowbringers and Ed Walker, and, you know, finish it on my end. I'm really interested to see how those things progress, and I'm really interested to see how one piece makes the transition from just being a, you know fairly generic shonen action series into getting more involved with these characters you know i know nami's coming up i don't even know when chopper shows up i know that after seeing bits and pieces of characters over the past years that there's a bunch of other crew members that show up that i have no clue who are so it'll be interesting to see how the everybody comes together and makes a great series
1: uh, I my last addendum will be I love that everyone I know that plays 14 is at different levels. like you're in shadowbringers. My brother is nearing Heaven's sword. I'm still in the base game. Our friend Andrew is like at the very end of, yeah. of, of the content. Like there's no one there's not like I'm at the beginning and everyone else is at the very end of the game or up to up to date. Like um, Sarah, who has been a co-host on Third Impact, I think is now dealing with Shadowbringers. So I love that everyone is at different aspects of the game, and there's not. well, I think one one thing I wish was different about One Piece is that it's, sometimes it feels like either you're a newbie, you're you're completely up to date. Um, so kind of having the sliding scales of where everyone's at, I think is really cool, and um, shows that. Everyone goes at their own pace, and everyone starts at different times, and I think that's just really neat.
0: Yeah, I think it says a lot that it's, it's, we have veterans of these games. You know, of course, Basil and Anna and the rest of our free company, of course, have been playing the game almost since launch for a long, long time. So we have, like, really, we have true veterans on our side. But I think it says a lot that over the past two years, we've had people jump in, and they've all really enjoyed this game, no matter their dedication to playing. Whether you're breezing through to finish everything, uh, whether you're taking your time, whether you're spending your money to buy a house and turn it into a little bistro for, for, for your <laughs> friends, uh, Andrew. Uh, you know, you can find enjoyment out of all these aspects. And whether you take it fast, whether you take it slow, the fact that this is a game that we all have really enjoyed, I think, speaks to... The, the quality uh, overall of the experience. And that, that really applies to One Piece as well. You know, it's very easy to, it was very easy for to me to have ignored it for so long because it's just that series. But to see so many people stay into it and even get into it and to see people, you know, on Twitter, for instance, talk about starting One Piece and their own journeys of these series, it really has encouraged me to not feel left out so far like i didn't have to i haven't missed the train i haven't missed the boat as it were (laughs) the merry-go uh start (laughs) whenever start now and still have a great time even though i've got to breeze through about 900 more chapters you know i'm still on this boat
1: well and i i love that at least amongst the people that i've met and just kind of the online sentiment is just like we just want you to get to start. We don't care how fast you go. We just we just want you to get into it. I think that's kind of the mantra. It's it's very similar to how people are like. We just want you to get to Final Fantasy fourteen. We think it's great. You should try it. And it's the same thing with One Piece. Of just we think it's great. You should try it.
0: Exactly. All right. Well, that seems to wrap up our first episode here. As we've discussed our first segment of this series, I think at this point. You're going to be taking a break for about a month while you travel, <laughs> and I'm probably going to uh, jump into the Ala. I'm sorry, the not the Alabasta, the Arlong Park arc. Since I've heard so many good things about it, I'm really excited to see what Nami has happened to Nami, because last I left her, she escaped, she stole the Merry Go and all their treasure, and she's left, and she's left Luffy and Zoro. And um, his brothers Johnny and Yosaku back on the restaurant. So now they've got to find Nami, and we'll see what happens there.
1: Uh, also, just for correction, it's it's called the Going Merry.
0: Well, not in the
1: manga. Oh, okay, interesting.
0: That's something I thought too, because I could have swore it was Going Merry, but no, in the manga. At least I don't. Know, that's another thing I kind of wonder because Zoro's name is Zolo, Z O L O, in the manga as well which I know Mm. that I've heard it, Zorro, like, you know, the famous Spanish swordsman. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's that's what I thought was the obvious inspiration for his name. So it makes me wonder. It makes me wonder if there's going to be a correction later. Uh, In the same way that 14 changes the English voice dub after ARR, I wonder if at some point they're going to be like, you know what, let's just align it with what the anime says and change it to the Going Merry or not?
1: I, well, you'll you'll find out, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, I certainly will. But yeah, so that's where we're at now. I think on your end, you just finished our Bray Fox Long Stop in ARR, and you squeaked through the Titan fight that we'll run you through mm-hmm. a little later so you get a, a, a better depiction of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, honestly, I think that puts Bill in. I would say there's like two more major sections at the end of the 2.0 release, and then you'll get through the patches, the first series of patches. Uh, so we'll talk more about those as we get to them. But as for today's episode, uh, again, if you have any questions or comments, we have an email address we've set up just for this mini series. The email address is reborn, all one word, at gmail.com. Again, any sort of commentary, feel free to send us an email. We eventually would like to do some mailbag episodes, so if you have any questions for us and our experiences, uh, maybe even you want to elucidate upon some of the topics that we've discussed on this first episode, feel free to shoot us an email, and we will read them on the show at some point in the future.
1: I'd love to hear our listeners' experiences with One Piece or Final Fantasy XIV. So if you want to talk about your experience with either of them, please, please email us, too. I think that'd be great to hear
0: absolutely and if you want to interact with us on a more regular level i'd say the easiest way would be to join our podcast discord so the third impact anime discord is available on our website thirdimpactanime.com we have a specific channel set up just for this challenge called a grand line reborn Uh, if you'd like you can join up there you can follow along on the screenshots and the commentary I've been making about individual pages on One Piece, or you can uh, join up on our uh, raids. We do, um, you know, dungeons and duties we run with Bill as he kind of unlocks them through the story. So feel free to join us there if you're interested in playing along and help uh, help him out on his journey throughout Eorzea. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, if you want to interact with us on social media, our individual... Uh, we individually have Twitter accounts as well. Bill, where can people find you online?
1: W-B Foreman F-O-R-E-M-A-N 999 where I will probably be t- retweeting about Lupin the Third Hearthstone One Piece <laughs> and many of my other fandoms that I won't shut up about. So, if you like those, check me out. I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I'm also on Twitter at Reverend Underscore Tobias. Well, Bill, thanks for sitting through this. Here, we've got a first episode in the pipe. We're looking forward to many, many more. I think that both you and I are—we're pretty much at this point dedicated to this cause. If we're being honest, I, I know that we set you know guidelines for what we're going to match for each other. But let's be honest, I think we're both gonna see this through to the end.
1: <laughs> I mean if if we do that then we will have I'll get a, a one piece cake. And I'll get a one piece cake and a Final Fantasy cake to celebrate our victory because both those are both those are very good time sinks. So we we shall see. I hope exactly. so.
0: Yeah, I'm hoping to see this through. I'm hoping that we turn this little mini-series into a a fun journey for both ourselves and our listeners. So I hope you guys out there in audio land really enjoy this episode and uh, look forward to more. But until next time, till sea swallows all, set sail for One Piece. Yahoo!